Let's pray together. And as we do this, if there's anybody you need to get with to pray, or if you want to come to the altar and uh, kneel and pray, if you've got somebody that's burdening your heart you need to contact, you might want to shoot them a text even right now and say, you're on my heart, I'm praying for you and love you. And uh, think about what people are going through, even those who might be right around you. And then again, it might be just the Holy Spirit brings somebody to your mind and you don't know what their needs are, you don't know anything about it, but you just feel impressed to pray with them. Just go to them and put a hand on their shoulder and let them know that you love them and that you are bearing burdens with them. Because the scripture says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And so we don't want to fail to do that. So let's go to prayer now, okay? Heavenly Father, we want to come to you today as the one that we sang about earlier, that you know our thoughts. And there are all kinds of thoughts that are represented here today and even by those that are watching online. Some people have thoughts of anxiety. Some uh, have thoughts of hopelessness and doom. We could go on and on with all of that. And we want to pray, Father, that you would Assure us today you know our thoughts and you love us in spite of them. In spite of our pride, in spite of our self-sufficiency, in spite of our apathy, in spite of wicked thoughts that we have, you love us. And as believers, we know that Christ was sent to earth to pay even for the crime of those wicked thoughts, much less our actions or inaction. And Father, we want to pray that you would also assure us today that you know what our need is. Sometimes we try to describe our needs or even pray for our needs, but the Bible says you know our needs before we even ask. And so we're surrendering to you this morning, Lord, what do we need and what is it that you want to provide? And I pray that you would. There are some that we are concerned about who need salvation. Only you can provide that. Some need to grow in the Lord and only you can make that happen. Some need assurance that Christ indeed is our only hope in life or death. And so, Father, we pray that you would bless us today with the gift of hope. And we pray that we would be fed on your word and we pray that we would understand your word and we pray that we would live whatever your word says all to the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 1. I found a verse in here that really intrigued me. And uh, we'll read it in just a moment. And uh, you will see the, uh, from the title of the message kind of where we're going. Because a lot of people, they either lack assurance of salvation... Or they are putting their assurance in something false. And we want to try to dispel that this morning. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we'll begin reading in verse 4 and go down to verse 8. Okay, Knowing, beloved brethren, 
your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy, joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God is what we're keying in on. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. And the thing that I want to answer this morning is basically, how did Paul know? How could Paul tell that these were the beloved of God, that they were the elect of God? How did he know that uh, they had truly been born again? Because what he says in here is how we know that uh, someone has been born again. And so look at these things and think about what he has said. He's enumerated several things for us. And number one, it would be because they received the gospel. That's what the elect do. Those who are uh, the elect of God, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know one thing, they're never saved apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I think the question that comes up in these days is, what is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? You can hear all kinds of things. I was uh, in a service one time where a, a preacher shook a lady's hand and said, oh, I can tell you're saved. That is a Holy Ghost handshake. No lie. Now, what does that have to do with anything of the gospel? And sometimes people say, well, the gospel is, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he died on the cross? And they'll say, yeah. And they say, well, then you're a Christian. Well, you could... Uh, live in China today and believe that there was a man named George Washington who fought the Revolutionary War and was America's first president. But that doesn't make you an American. That's just something that you know. And there are a lot of people who are basing their salvation on what they know. And some people are basing it upon an experience that they had. Well, it must have been the Lord. I felt warm from head to toe. That may be a thyroid problem, right? You never know, do you? And uh, other people have said things like, well, I cried and I'm not a crier. Well, uh, who knows? But that's not really what the Bible brings up as the basis for salvation. Paul did not say, I know that you are the elect of God and beloved by God because I saw your tears. Doesn't mean that tears are invalidated. They're real. And God bless you if you wept when you were saved. But the weeping doesn't save us. The experience doesn't save us. Going through a class, going through a confirmation, going through a ritual of baptism or something like that, that's not what saves. It comes down to the gospel. And the gospel, literally meaning the euangelion, the good news of God, is that we were sinners, and because of that we were spiritually dead, separated from God, and unable to do anything 
that would please him. Everything we did, even our righteousness, was as filthy rags. That is pointing out the impossibility of anything we could do ever pleasing God. But God solved the problem for us in a most amazing way by sending his own son, God in human flesh, to come down to earth and live a life that was absolutely perfect. Now you think about that in his thoughts, in his motives, and in his deeds. Everything perfect all the time for the entire life that he lived while he was here on earth. And then he went, and you remember from our study in Exodus that there was a lamb that was to be offered that was to be an unblemished lamb. That was a picture of Christ because the sinless Son of God died on the cross as the lamb that John the Baptist pointed out that was slain for our sins. And he died and he paid for our salvation in full. We don't add anything to it. There's nothing left to be done. Christ is our only hope in life and in death, as we sang earlier. Our victory is indeed in Jesus. And so believing that, we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We don't put our faith in an event. We don't put our faith in a set of beliefs necessarily, but our faith is in a living person, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who perfectly fulfilled the Father's demands of justice on our behalf. See, the wages of sin is death. So somebody is going to die for your sins. And it'll either be the Lord Jesus' death that will pay for your sins, or it will be your death and an eternity in hell that will uh, be the price for your sins. And so the good news is the Thessalonians heard this. Now, you've heard it so many times, you go numb when we talk about this kind of stuff. But the Thessalonians had never heard this before. The Thessalonians had every reason to be hostile about this whole story. What do you mean? What are you saying about our God? We worship the God Jupiter. We worship in our way. Who are you to tell us that we're wrong? You know, we live in these days of cultural sensitivity. What right do we have to say that our culture is any better than anyone else's? And with that, by extension, what right do we have to send missionaries to somebody to tell them that there is another way or the only way to heaven is through Christ and your way is wrong? Who do we think we are? All supposed to be kind of equal and respectful. Well, people were no different back in the days when Paul was preaching this. The Thessalonians had every reason to reject this. But Paul said, the reason we know you are beloved brothers is because you received the gospel just as we did. And you notice that he makes this statement in here, you know what manner of men we were among you. And that tells me something else. I have talked to people who said they were saved because they had faith in Jesus Christ. And then as it turns out, they were a follower of a man named Joseph Smith. Mormonism. What does that mean? A false gospel. And uh, he taught several things that were untrue. And this isn't an expose of Mormonism. But it just means that there are some people that need to look and not just say the right words or the proper words, 
but they need to look at the background in all of it. And Paul said, we know what we believe and we know what is true. We know what has been revealed to us. Remember in Galatia, in the book of Galatians, Paul had spent time three years with the Lord in seminary. And so he said, you know what manner of men we were. It was the right man with the right message and they believed the right message. And that is one of the reasons that Paul knew that they were saved. So I would just ask you this morning, what is it you believe and why do you believe it and where did you get it? And uh, that tells you an awful lot. If it didn't come from the Word of God, if it's not the true gospel, if it's not the uh, one that is presented by the apostles and given to us by God, then it is different. And um, he said in here that you received it by the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit's work. Did you just believe what someone said? Or were you actually convicted of your sin? In my experience when I was a boy, I believed what the people told me, but I had not been convicted of my sin by the Holy Spirit of God. And so uh, when I was truly born again, it was different because there was the power of God in all of that. It was more than just words, more than just intellect, and more than just being pressured, more than just being afraid. It was the power and the drawing of God. And the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin. And then he gave me assurance because I learned and have been learning ever since that so much of what causes me to have doubts and fears is based on what I do or what I don't do. And I'm not saved because of what I do or what I don't do. I'm saved because what Christ did for me on the cross of Calvary. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And so we look at these things and we say, well, no wonder Paul was thinking of them as being true believers. But he didn't stop there, did he? There are people that, like parrots, can give you all of the right answers, and yet they've never been transformed. So what is the next thing that he brings up? Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, and the next word for is an explanatory clause. He's explaining why he knows this, for, and he talks about receiving the gospel. But not only that, he says, you became a disciple. You became a disciple, a follower. The Greek word for disciple is methetes. It means to be a follower, but even more than that, it means to be a learner. And Paul is saying to these people, I saw something in you. You didn't just pray a prayer and then move on. You didn't just get baptized and then move on to something else. You became a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You became a follower of the Lord Jesus. You became a learner of him. In other words, the Thessalonians were like a hungry baby with a ravenous appetite for the word of God. The disciples were crying out for spiritual food. They wanted to know. They wanted to know. Tell us, Paul, tell us. You take a little bitty baby, when they get hungry, nothing else really matters. You can't soothe them out of it. You can't entertain them out of it. You can't distract them with anything else. They were hungry for the truth of the Word of God. Peter tells us that we, like babes, should be hungry for the sincere milk of the Word. And that's what happened with the Thessalonian believers. Verse 6, you became followers of us. 
they were imitating the believers there in Thessalonica. But that's not enough because you can follow the wrong people. Paul ties it together. You became followers of us and of the Lord. The Thessalonian believers being babes in Christ, they didn't know a whole lot, but they were watching Paul and they were learning from Paul and Silas and Timothy and in so doing they learned to walk with the Lord and that's what the Bible has called us to do. Go into all the world, Jesus said, and make disciples. It's not just a get them to pray the prayer and then leave. It's You've got a long-term thing there. Make disciples out of them, learners and followers and that's exactly what these people were hungry for the truth committed to the truth they were selling out to the truth they were living the truth that's obvious as you read this whole passage they became disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ salvation is a conversion we're going from according to the scripture from death to life we're going from light to darkness. We're going from an enemy of the Lord to a follower of the Lord. Well, how can you not want to know more about the one who drew you out of the mess, the death and the despair and the hell that you were in and the hell you were headed to? Think about all that Jesus has done for you. Don't you want to know him more and more and more? And so you learn of the Lord and his word, you learn that through others. That's why the church is so incredibly important that we disciple one another. It's not just me. It's not just your Sunday school teacher. We learn from one another as we talk, as we watch, as we observe, as we share experiences, as we pray, as we give insight, as we answer questions. All of those things happen so that we can grow and so that we can learn because we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, why did Paul know? How could he be so certain? How could he be so sure about this? It's because they persevered. If you want to know about somebody and what they really think, put them under pressure. Put them in a dangerous situation. Put them in a place where they feel threatened, where their life is threatened, their family is threatened, their career is threatened. All of that was happening to the Thessalonian believers. If you uh, move on down, it says, having received the word, now those next three, next three words don't pass by too quickly, in much affliction. Not just affliction, but in much affliction. And then the next two words don't seem to go with that, do they? With much affliction, what? In joy. And it's a joy, of course, of the Holy Spirit. Now, what kind of affliction would they receive the word in? We're not used to that. The price that we pay for believing in Christ, for believing the gospel, for believing the word of God is relatively, relatively small. Now, some people it's much, much more than others, but it's all compared to others, it's relatively small. I prayed this morning. I prayed this morning for pastors just like me who instead of waking up in a nice warm bed, they woke up in a prison cell today. Affliction. I prayed for pastors and church members in churches around the world where instead of gathering like we do today, dressed nicely and gathering in air conditioning and in padded seats and all of that, I prayed for those who were gathering in fear of their lives. I prayed for those who were going to be beaten today. 
I prayed for those who were going to be in prison today. I prayed for those who were in prison for nothing more than their faith, who don't know how their families are going to eat this week because they can't go to work and provide for them. I prayed for them because we have it so incredibly easy here. It's easy to get up. It's easy to get rest. It's easy to get food. It's easy to have your cup of coffee. It's easy to get dressed. You have a choice in your wardrobe. And it's easy to get in your car and to drive to church. It's easy in here. But these people received the word in much affliction. What kind of affliction would that be? I don't know specifically. But I know their lives were threatened. I know that their work was threatened. I know that their families would be threatened. I know that all of these things would happen because that's what happened to the Apostle Paul. That's why he had to leave. He was only there for three Sabbaths, remember? And then he had to leave. The brethren had to get him out of there or he would have been killed. Would, let, let me ask you a question. Do you think they would have done any less to the followers of Paul and Silas and Timothy? These people are in danger of their lives. These people are being rejected from the synagogue, these pe if there were Jews. These people are being rejected from their families. You betrayed the family. You're a betrayer of Rome. All of those kind of things would be coming upon them. And yet they received the word. They received the word. They believed it. They stood on it. They grasped it. They embraced it as their own. They got rid of all other philosophies and said, This is the truth. And they held on to it in spite of what it cost them, in much affliction. And yet there was one thing that was happening that is so different than us, with joy. How many joyful believers do you know, including yourself? How many joyful believers do you know, including yourself? And could it be that the world is not all that impressed with us because maybe we seem to believe what we would believe, but we kind of lack the joy. It's just before this that Paul and Silas are in Philippi and they're arrested in a, a, an unlawful arrest and they're beaten in an unlawful beating and put in the middle of the prison and they're chained together. Their chains are around their legs. They have their feet spread apart as far as they will go and chained in that position. They can't move. You can imagine the cramps they feel. You can imagine the back aches that they feel. You can imagine the, everything that they're going through and yet at midnight they start singing songs because you could not stop the joy that was in the apostle paul well that same joy is in you because it's the joy of jesus christ and we've got to start rejoicing in the lord and giving thanks in everything that's what sets us apart or one of the things that sets us apart from the world not our complaining and not our griping but our rejoicing in the lord and so you think about all of these things and you think about the riots and the upheaval and the local government and everything that happened and uh, Paul and Silas having to escape from all of this and yet they had joy and Galatians 5 and 23 says the fruit or evidence of the spirit is love and right after that it says joy then peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control Against such things there is no law. And so these people were real. And when they're put under stress and put under pressure, you find out what they really are. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. And so the affliction just made the treasure that was within them come out of them. The treasure came out of them. And the treasure, of course, is the Lord Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus is telling the parable of the soils. Now listen to this, because I may be describing you. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it, you ever notice this? With joy. With joy. But he has no root in himself and endures for a while. And when tribulation, pressure, or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So notice Paul didn't just say, I have seen the work of God in your life simply because you received the word. It's that you received the word and you persevere in much affliction. Because the people that received the word with joy on the stony soil, who are lost, by the way, who are lost, they don't endure what? Persecution that arises. Paul said, I know you're saved because you not only affirm the word, receive the word, believe the word, embrace the word, live by the word, but you do it when the pressure is on. You do it when your life is in peril. You do it when the enemy... And those who hate the Lord Jesus Christ are pouring it on. That is the proof that you are a believer. Doesn't it make you feel like a wimp? Doesn't it make you feel really inadequate? Doesn't it make you question your own Christianity? Well, you're supposed to. The Bible says we are to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. And passages like this make me look at it all over again just to be making sure that I'm right. And that's what we're supposed to do. Not to live by assumption, not to live by what somebody else says, not to live by the way we feel, but to live by the evidence that's in our lives. So if they put you on trial because you were a Christian, would there be enough evidence to put you in prison? Well, that's what they're looking at here. And Paul said, that's a proof that you are a child of God. You received the word of God and you did it with joy, just like the people on, that were on the stony soil, except the difference is you persevered. You endured all of that. And then fourthly, notice that the uh, believers here, they became examples to other people. You know, uh, people are always pointing out our hypocrisies, and boy, the Lord knows there's more than enough in my life and in your life to be pointed out. And sometimes because of that, we kind of give up. What do I have to offer anybody? What could anybody see in me? And the old hymn said, let others see Jesus in you. And that's what they need to see. They really need to see the full package in our lives. 
Why does God not just glorify us and perfect us here on earth so that we never do anything wrong again? But instead, he saves us and leads us here knowing we're going to stumble. We're going to stumble other people. We're going to fall. We are going to mess up. We're going to not always look like we should, not always live like we should. And I think the reason is because if we were to live perfect from this life on, the lost world would say, well, it's just you. You're just good. You're just better than me. You're just a perfect person. I could never be like you. And so the Lord lets us stumble. He lets us have egg on our face, so to speak. He, let us, he lets us get embarrassed. He lets us get bruised and bleeding in front of the lost world. Now, how are we going to recover? How are we going to react? Where are we going to take our sins and our failures? And how do we ever have assurance that those are forgiven? And see, for those of us who have believed the gospel, we understand there's never an excuse for sin. There are always consequences to sin. But the good news is Christ has paid those consequences and he has paid the punishment for our sin on the cross. Now I'm going to reap what I sow because the Lord is not punishing me. He is correcting me and he is doing it out of love. And when the lost world can watch how we handle persecution... But they also watch to see how, look, they sin just like I do, except they repent. They sin just like I do, except they bear the consequences of that sin and they reap what they sow and they do it with joy and they do it with peace and they do it with love for their God. Why is it that you handle this differently than I do? And there is your open door to tell them it's not about me. It's about my Savior who lived the perfect life I could never live and died on the cross and paid the penalty for my sins and rose from the dead. And you have a chance to witness of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only were they examples to lost people, but Paul says here that they became examples internationally actually all around the empire, to other believers. I wonder today, do those people that are being persecuted, like I mentioned earlier, in China, do they look to us and find great encouragement because of the American church? Well, I would hope so, but I kind of doubt it, don't you? Do the people that are saved in a Muslim country today that are being beaten, that are being imprisoned, that are being thrown off of buildings to their death? Do they find encouragement in American Christianity today? What kind of an example are we to the rest of the world? Well, I can tell you one thing. They certainly are examples to us. Can I get an amen on that? Because we think about how they persevere and what they have to live through. And we are encouraged. We are inspired by all of that. But I'm afraid for a lot of us, all we do is cross our fingers, knock on wood and say, May it never happen here. Instead of saying, If it ever does happen here, the same God that sustains them will sustain me. The same God that causes them to persevere will help me to persevere as well. And so we need to think about that. What kind of an example are we? And you'll notice something strange in their example here. It says in verse 7, So that you, these baby believers who Paul only had about a month with, they became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Other believers... 
Maybe people who had been saved longer than they were were encouraged by them. Other believers who maybe were in a different situation or maybe even in the same situation, they were encouraged by them. And that's why the Lord has placed us here. This all came from their heart. And in serving God and in their sanctification, they made an impact. And this is a difference than just the legalistic knowledge that others are watching and I don't want to mess them up. That really had nothing to do with it. And so many times I've been advised in my Christian life, be careful, other people are watching. What if somebody saw you? That type of thing. Well, if our Christianity doesn't go any deeper than that, we're not worth much, are we? Because our Christianity needs to be from the heart. It doesn't matter if anyone saw you or not. That implies that if nobody's looking, do whatever you want. That implies that as long as you're by yourself and the lights are off, do whatever you want. And that's not Paul's point at all. Paul's point is this. They were examples to other believers whether anybody was looking or not because God is always watching, right? And we have to have that kind of character that says, this is who I am, I am a follower of Christ, and it doesn't matter if anybody is watching or not. There are just certain things I will do and certain things I won't do, certain things I'll say, certain things I will not say, regardless of anything like that, because the true Christianity comes from the inside and it comes from the heart and that's what made them so incredibly impactful as examples as you focus upon the lord keeping your eyes upon jesus the author and finisher of our faith the writer of hebrews said god works in you and through you and then you impact other people we always impact other people always but we're either going to do it in a positive, godly way or a negative, ungodly way. So um, keep that in mind. And then the last thing, Paul said, I know your election of God because they desired to be witnesses. And you notice here that something happened out of this little church, out of these young believers. Verse 8, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. That international impact. Jesus said, you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It never starts and stops in the same place. It spreads. It goes forth. You have impact. Jesus has world missions on his heart. And so should you. In every place. And your faith toward God has gone out so that, listen to this, we do not need to say anything. In other words, about the time we come into a port, we get off of the boat, and we come out and we meet with some people, we're dialoguing with them, and we say, hey, have you ever heard about anything going on in Thessalonica? And before we can tell the story, they're going, oh yeah. And then they're telling us what happened. What are they saying? Well, they're talking about how you turn to the living God from idols. Those things that are coming down. How you received us. Those kind of things were going out. Now that word sounded forth 
is a Greek word. It could be like uh, if you were to go to the Grand Canyon and you were to go to the edge and pick up a trumpet and you began to play the trumpet and you would hear the echo. It's a, if you were in an echo chamber, if you've ever been like to a science museum or something, and you get into that one thing with the tube and you say something and it echoes, 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 echoes. That's the word there, it sounded forth. What they said in Thessalonica and the way they witnessed to people there, it didn't just stay there, but it was over and over and over and over and over and over. It reverberated and then it spread. It went further and further and further. And this person would tell this person who would tell this person who would tell this person. That's the way it's supposed to work. But it has to start before it can ever spread. Can I say that again? The gospel has to start somewhere before it's ever spread. I want to challenge you to be an echo chamber of the, of the gospel. I want to challenge you to intentionally witness... Not just today, not just this week, not just when you see the need, but to be available to God anywhere and everywhere you go. Because as we saw in Sunday school this morning, you never know when there's a Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, that guy will never get saved. That's what they would have said about Nebuchadnezzar. But our God is able to do the impossible. There may have been people that told Paul and Silas and Timothy, don't bother with Thessalonica. Those people will never trust Christ. And yet they did. And they're the beloved of God, the elect of God. And from them, the gospel is like an echo chamber sounding forth internationally out of that little church. What an amazing thing that that is. And so it spreads person to person and then region to region and then nation to nation and this is what happens when we take advantage of divine appointments that God gives us so God will probably give you something tomorrow an opportunity just to testify of Christ or to hand out a tract or to pray with somebody take advantage of it that's how it goes forth and their faith went out it wasn't just private and personal people say today that oh Keep your faith to yourself. That is just such a personal matter. Well, I'm glad it wasn't to the Thessalonian believers. It spread. It spread and it went on out. And if there's anything that we need today, it is a spiritual awakening and we need the gospel to spread and to go forth. I want to read this to you in a different translation and then uh, we'll be through. It says, For the word of the Lord went forth from you like a trumpet. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but the story of your faith toward God has gone forth in every place so that we had no need to say anything about it. For the people amongst whom we were could tell us your story. And I close by asking you to think back to the book of Ruth. Ruth and Naomi are back in Bethlehem. They wake up in the morning, and in Ruth 2, verse 2, it says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. And so Ruth gets up that morning, and she says, 
I don't know what the day holds. I don't know anybody here. I'm a foreigner. People don't like foreigners. People don't like these workers coming in from other places. But I'm going to trust God that I might find favor with somebody today. I'm going to trust God that I might find favor so that I can glean in the field. And you know the story. Ruth went out empty, but she found favor in the eyes of a man named Boaz that she had never met before. He allows her to reap in the field. And when Ruth comes home, she's got all kinds of barley. And they're going to eat tonight. She went out empty, but she came home with a harvest. How come? Because she woke up that day and she goes, I don't know what's going to happen today, just like you do. But she said, I'm going forth to look for a harvest, which is the way you ought to go forth as you go throughout your day. I don't know what's going to happen today, but I pray that when I come home tonight, I come home with a harvest, that I've been able to share the gospel with somebody, that I've been able to encourage some believer and be an example to them. I'm going to come home today with a harvest I've had something that I've reaped today. This will not be just another empty day. I challenge you on that from the Word of God and the Thessalonians. First of all, are you indeed saved? And secondly, if you are, are you an example and are you an echo chamber of the gospel? I'd like for us to remain seated, but for you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And I want you just to stop and I want you to do something that we don't do very often in this world. I want you to think. And as you think, I want you to pray. I don't want you to pray for someone else. I want you to pray for yourself. And I want you to think about this. Have you received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you born again? And the second thing I want you to think about is, do you persevere? Do you persevere? I want you to think about the fact that you are a disciple. Are you acting like a disciple? Do you have any semblance of discipline in your Christian life? Are you learning, growing in the Lord? Do you have people in your life that are pouring into your life? I want to ask you, do you care what other people see in you and think about you as it pertains to your walk with God? Are you an example for other people to follow? In other words, the Thessalonian believers followed Paul and they ended up following Christ. So if somebody started following you, would they be following Jesus? And then, what's your witnessing life like? Do you even think about it? Does it ever happen? Are you an echo chamber for the Lord Jesus? A lot to pray about and a lot to think about because in each of those cases, you've got to be intentional, not haphazard, about your walk with the Lord. Heavenly Father, we conclude this by praying for those who may be a church member, but they've never been born again. Please save them. 
Help us, Father, that we could talk to people that are all around us that are like the Thessalonians. They've embraced a, a different God, a different religion, a different gospel. And we may look at them and say, there's no way, or they might be hostile. Help us to love them enough to be willing to pay the price if necessary. Father, I pray that you would help us as a church and as individuals, that we could be that persevering, discipled example to other people. That they would look at us and wonder why we don't quit, why we don't give up, why we keep on going, why we keep on doing the things that we're supposed to do. And then may it turn into a witnessing encounter, a divine appointment, where we can tell them it's not about us, it's about our Savior. And it's in His name that we pray this prayer and express the desire of our heart. In Jesus' name and for His kingdom we pray. Amen.